You're tuning in to Past Hour Prime, a show powered by Squad Locker. Let's be great. Let's be great. Here are your hosts, retired Astros minor league star Tip Fairchild and former Patriots All-Pro center Dan Copen. Go rock this thing, huh? All right, we have Mike or Michael. We're yes. still gonna, We're gonna figure out what that. he prefers because Mike's fine. All right, Mike. Okay. There, Mike Calalori. Oh, yeah, you nailed just it. You nailed did do that. a good job. Yeah. We we um, just nailed it. We worked on that with him before the. Episode, I was close though, though to make sure you missed a I think whole I, well, syllable. No, I think I, I was one syllable short. Okay, but um, Calalori, Mike Calalori from mm-hmm. Headstrong Foundation, uh, partner yeah. with Squad Locker, and we're gonna get into. The whole Headstrong uh, Foundation, which is... I've known about Headstrong for a long time. Back from my days with Turfer, which was which turned into Squad Locker. We, we did some custom jackets at one time with... They have a really cool colorway, the lime green yeah. colorway. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So we'll learn a ton about it. Um, and, what, what did you ask him, um, though? Where in Pennsylvania are you from? Because he just asked us um, if we have a Birds jersey. And <laughs> I can tell you I can tell you definitively right now, Mike, Michael Kalalori. There will never, ever, ever be an Eagles jersey in here. Not a chance. No? No. There won't be? No. And I grew up in Whitehall, Pennsylvania. Right I, well, outside of Allentown. What's your team? The Patriots? Is that? I was like, a Packer fan growing up. Okay. They're going to get beat this weekend, actually. When by who? Players, by the Eagles. Oh, no. I, you guys, I mean, you guys almost got beat by, uh, what, the, who was it? Who almost beat you? Washington or? No. Who was it this weekend? Detroit? Detroit. No, Washington. Detroit won. Detroit beat the Giants. Washington. Washington. Who almost beat the Eagles? Washington actually beat us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, they not. they smoked you uh, last week. We Who? just beat the Colts. By oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, no, on a last-second touchdown, right? 17 to 60. Yeah. The yeah. Colts with Jeff Saturday as their coach. Hey, you know, it, it wins a win in my eyes, you know. That is I, true. I, I actually believe I love that attitude. That is a great attitude. I love that attitude. I mean, the NFL is so unpredictable one, you know, like, and I think I'm actually glad that the Eagles lost. I, I, I actually would like them to maybe lose a couple more games. And I feel like mm. both of the teams that I've seen in the NFL and mostly like pro sports, when they take on a record like that, they eventually just disintegrate after like the first round of the playoffs. Like I feel like you have to have some losses on your side to kind of, you know, get grounded again, get humbled again. Um, <laughs> you're speaking to. Like, you're I, feel, speaking. I, I feel like there's nobody else here. Yeah, this and is, he's just talking you know, to me, and he's Dan, trying to poke the bear. You know, I feel part, like you're trying to poke the bear here, Michael. Dan, as part of the what, what was it, sixteen? Um, you know, they. I see them. You know, doing well this year, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, Dan was part. You know, of uh, the. I like the Patriots. Were you like the were you referring to the 2007 season at all in your head? Say it again. Were you referring to the 2007 Patriots season at all in your mind? Was it was, was that floating around in your mind at all? Just a little bit. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, I mean, a participant on this podcast hey, I'm was out. the center. This one's yours now. Okay, all right. Yeah, so That's you are. Question. So I have roots from South Philadelphia. Oh, there you go. I was raised in the suburbs of Philly. Okay. I currently reside in South Jersey. Um which is a beautiful royal area, all farms. I've been there for about nine years. Uh, the organization is rooted in the su- just south of the city of Philadelphia. Um, and so that's kind of where I was born and raised. And so diehard Philly sports fans. I know we have a bad rep, but we're really great people, believe it or not. <laughs> and, uh, 
Oh, I love, I right. love in, in my uh, defense, though, I was born in the Midwest. So my okay. whole family was Packer fans. Moved gotcha. out to Pennsylvania when I was seven. So gotcha. had I been born there, yeah. probably would have been a different story. Yeah, 100%. I did I'm see a picture. On, like, I'm just a big believer on, like, you got to run with your home team. Oh, yeah. Right? And if you want to have Definitely. a secondary team that you cheer, like, my my best friend from college, it drives me nuts. He's from upstate New York, which, you know, should be a Buffaloes fan. And he's, like, a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. To the point where guys. he's relocated to Dallas and is raising his family there. And so two years ago, it's, it's it sounds crazy, but like two years ago, I told him, I said, I, I, I consider him like a bandwagon fan. Like I, as a kid, was an Eagles fan. And I loved like, I did like the Cowboys uh, just because they were good when I was a kid. I, but and I also was a San Fran fan at the same time. But like, that's not my, my primary team. Like mm-hmm. my, my team is the birds, right? So I think he's a fake fan. I really do. And so I told him, I'm not talking to you in in the football season mm-hmm. until the football season's over. I'll answer your phone call. And he thinks I'm nuts, but I'm like, I'm done with it. Like, so it works. you got to be a real fan. That's I think that this brings up a good, good question here. I don't know if we've done this on the show before, but what is the age that if you were born somewhere, right, and then you relocate, right, in your life, right? So – Say say my girls, right. my kids are eight and six. Gotcha. And we move to San Francisco. Yep. Right? Are they Patriots fans for life? Yeah. Right? Or is it is it where you're born? Or is I think, it I think it is. It's okay. like your hometown, like where your roots are. You know okay. what I mean? That's, that's I, think, I think I think if you know? I think if you're gonna go that young, because I moved to PA when I was seven. Mm-hmm. And this is where you're going, I think. I think you're you're not smart enough, you're not mature enough yeah. to have a team so you kind of follow where your parents are, right? I would assume. So that's so kind the of, parents are probably still big like it, fans because the they parents, relocated. If the parents were born there and your whole family's from there and they're all Eagles fans, yeah, yeah I would assume doesn't matter where you go, you're mm-hmm. probably be an Eagle fan. But if we were in the Midwest, mm-hmm. you're a Bears fan or a Packer fan, like you yeah. know, that's kind of where you. Then you're that kid though in class where like everybody's all excited about the Patriots being so in the he's, Super Bowl. So Mike's saying I'm not you know? doing anything wrong being a Packer fan because I was born out there. That's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Just, then so we're get, both like, right. You know, then you got the kid though in class, like I was saying that like everybody's like Patriots are in the Super Bowl and this kid's oh, like, yeah, a, this kid's a huge like uh, Colts fan. Yeah. And you're like, ah, what a bum. Yeah. There's a Bills fan in my daughter's class that drives her nuts. Know, it's tough. It drives her nuts. That's <laughs> tough. That's tough. Okay. So let's go. Let's talk about headstrong. Or Absolutely. let's talk about lacrosse now. Let's just talk about lacrosse in general because we got a baseball guy here, a football guy there, lacrosse guy here. We've had some lacrosse guys on Jenkins, my buddy Dave. It was a it was a big time lacrosse yeah, guy, good. right? Uh, he, he won a championship at Virginia, so we've brought a couple lacrosse guys on, but nobody who's made as much of an impact, I think, as you and the Headstrong Headstrong Foundation. I was looking yeah. up briefly when I do my research before these things, which is usually sixty to ninety seconds before I look a little bit more up. I did do more yeah. on the actual foundation, but you yourself, I saw a picture of you in a, at a Phillies game, right? I'm like, okay, all right, so he's a Phillies fan, got it. Right. Now I did see some stats that kind of blew my mind. Twenty three thousand families you guys have helped out. Twenty four yeah. million dollars raised. We're I mean actually, that's massive that's stuff. We just surpassed last week twenty six million raised. Oh, yeah, that, those numbers got. Or we'll get it uh, um, updated uh, here shortly. And it's but. and it was what 2007, right? That the that you guys started. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a lot of money. A lot of people that you've helped. 
Yeah. Can you take us through a little bit? I mean, the story is like super powerful, you know, yeah. and you can go into it as much as you want with, you know, with your brother and everything. It's like, take us through it a little bit on how this started, a little bit of the background on it. And then we'll, we'll chime in with some questions too, I'm sure. But we'd love to love to hear about it and, and, you know, feel free to elaborate on it too. Cause I know people want to hear more. Mm-hmm. For sure. So my brother, Nick and I, uh, we're not even like a year apart. He was, you know, I think 10 months older than me. And so third, I was in third grade. He was in fourth grade. We were always outside playing. And one of our neighbors, um, who actually I, I talked to today, Michael Hagen was across the street. We lived across the street from a bar. And so Nick and I were like football players, wrestlers. We did everything. Like we always, my parents always had us active in sports. I'm the baby of four boys. So like my parents were big on like us being, you know, busy throughout the year. And so Nick and I, our neighbor was like, had these these sticks and the ball and they were like whipping the ball around and we were just sitting there watching them. And my, Mike, Mike Hagen, my neighbor was like, you guys want to try it? So we're like, yeah, of course. Like we'll, try. so they're teaching us how to like, you know, sl- sling the ball back and forth. And like, we instantly just started like getting it. And so we run into my parents were like calling us over for dinner. And so we go in, we're sitting out for dinner and we like, we're like so excited that we like, we got to this, to play this game. And so like to learn it and I'll never forget, like we told our parents like, mom, dad, you know, we're going to get like full scholarship to go play division one lacrosse one day. And my parents were like, like, what's the cross? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. And so like next, you know, like we, we just totally fell in love with this sport. Um, we were blessed to have like a very great youth lacrosse program. Um, Matt Flynn, who's still running the program after I think 20 plus something years. And so the feeder um, from where we're from in lacrosse in Philadelphia, like the Burbs, you know, is like, you know, is like the Long Island, New York is like Baltimore, like it's a hotbed for the sport. And so um, club lacrosse was nowhere near where it is now, but our high school was also very competitive. You know, we won, we we were in the, we won three state championships. And at that time, um, you know, we were playing, it wasn't like divided. So we were playing prep schools, private schools, Catholic schools, public schools. And at that time, like Pennsylvania was produced, like had such, such incredible, it was, it was a public school, which is Ridley Township where I went to and like three private schools in the championship um, every single year. And then we would go out to Hershey and, and play in the, in the, the West coast champion. And so we won three of them out of the four years we, we placed into the final four. Um, and so Nick and I, um, kind of really allowed, just fell in love with the sport of lacrosse. It opened up so many opportunities for us. Um, and so we took scholarship together to go play at Hofstra University. Um, Nick, his freshman year, did well. The team was stacked um, and got a lot of playing time uh, at the long stick mini position. And then the following year was, you know, was positioned to be a starter, which was my freshman year. Um, two weeks in, we're college roommates, teammates, you know, obviously brothers and best friends. And uh, Nick was diagnosed with cancer and given three months to live. And September 21st, of 2005, it was a Wednesday. Never forget it. Walked into uh, Margiata Hall, which is like the athletic complex on Hofstra University's campus. And we actually had our apparel reps there. I think it was Brian at the time. And now we called it Christmas. Like you just get to pick out all your equipment. You get the helmets, all the whole nine. And so we were super excited. And so Literally, I'm leaving like an 8 a.m. class, running over to, to so excited to like, you know, to pick out our equipment. This is the first time as a freshman. And so I get to the locker room and my coach is like, you know, Mike, will you come upstairs to my office and help me carry down 
some of the product that we need, you know, for, you know, for you guys to pick out the gear. And I'm like, yeah, no problem, coach. So I run upstairs as I, as I walk into the office, my parents are in there, they have team doctors, counselors, my brother Nick's in there. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And so they're like, they told me the news. And so um, what's even crazier is like literally 10 minutes after this situation, I get a phone call. My best friend, Evan Brady, who was um, fighting um, osteosarcoma had passed away at the same time. So that day is a day that I'll never forget. Um, so Nicholas kind of took the, my brother, Nick, um, you know, was given this news and kind of took it in stride. Um, didn't get upset. He's like, listen, I'm just going to head back to Philly. I'm going to get some treatment. You know, you stay here and I'll be back in the spring. I'll be ready to rock in the spring. And so comes back um, and started treatment at University of Pennsylvania Hospital. Nick fought extremely hard, um, you know, fought for 14 months. So given three months and, and it, you know, fought for 14 months. And he was a warrior, man. He was just incredible um, and really um, just had the ability to really live in his vision and not his circumstances. I always tell people that all the time. And Chuck Pagano from the Colts always said, and he always has that quote. And it resonates so well with Nick because he didn't, he, he knew what he was up against, right? He knew the, the reality of the situation and kind of just decided to focus on everything but that. And so obviously put all his faith and trust into the doctors and did what he had to do to try to, you know, to beat this thing from a treatment standpoint. But outside of that, he was focused on his studies. He was focused on his relationship with his fiance. He was relate, focused on his family. Uh, he was focused on like getting back to Hofstra and being just a great teammate and playing, you know, getting back on the field. And then as things started to evolve, May of, of 2006, he went in for a transplant for 34 days straight, which was a pretty lengthy stay. And he had a lot of downtime. And so he started like running around the floors to, to, to gotta, you know, exercise. And he was walking the floors and Nick was just like an old soul. Um, you know, just a really a per, like a people's person. He was a pleaser. He was an overachiever. And just like, People just naturally were drawn to him. And so next, you know, like University of Penn is asking him to help counsel like other people that were in his situation. So he's mentoring uh, people that were currently fighting, you know, and, and people that were suicidal, like, you know, some really, really deep stuff. And so next, you know, he starts hearing like um, all these like same problems that like he was facing, that my family was facing. And literally it was was going to get a procedure done. And my dad's promise, my dad had two promises to Nick during this whole thing. One is he's never gonna leave his, never gonna leave his side. So he'll never go into any procedure, any treatment alone. My dad used to scrub into every single thing. And then the second thing is my dad, my dad's an incredible cook. And my dad was like, you're not gonna eat any hospital food. I will make you breakfast, lunch, dinner, 365, I don't care. But that's how my dad, my dad, my dad has to like feed people. That's like what his gift is. Mm -hmm. And it's, he's a very, very good cook. So with that being said, they're wheeling Nick into a procedure and he literally was like asking for a pen and paper and people were like, what are you doing? And so my mom was like, happened to be with them at the time because they were still in the hallway. My mom finds a napkin, like literally I actually have one here, like finds a napkin and gives him a napkin and a pen. And he drew like our first ever logo, sketched it. And he's like, he starts talking to everybody about like, I'm gonna start this organization. We're gonna provide direct services to cancer patients. We're gonna be sports-based. We're gonna use sports as like our vehicle. 
to generate awareness and funds and empower people to like rally behind us. And we're going to then take all the money and we're going to we're going to funnel it into services that are going to directly impact patients that are just struggling. And so, you know, he basically took like the emotional toll, the struggle, the financial struggle, um, and like the residential struggle that people face when they're when they're diagnosed and fighting cancer. And he basically conceptualized this whole thing. Um, and as you know, unfortunately, Nick's disease was very aggressive, and he didn't respond well to any treatment. They gave him the whole show, and literally the night before he passed away, he was I was holding him. We were at home, and he was on hospice. And before he passed, he was like basically like he looked at my mom, he looked at me, looked at my family. He was like, guys, promise me that like you'll run with this, like you'll make this happen, this headstrong thing. And so you know, after his passing, I was in a very dark place. A lot of us are, um, were, and, and kind of we still are. You know, you, you don't ever stop grieving uh, the loss of a loved one like that. But, you know, um, me personally, like, I just wanted to give up on everything. I didn't want to go back to school. Um, I was in a very, very dark place. Um, and I'll never forget, um, I was, like, in my bedroom, wouldn't let anyone in. It was, it was bad. And I'll never forget this one time. My dad literally comes in. People, they would send people into my room. And they'd be laying with me in bed and trying to convince me to get out of bed, try to get convince me to eat. I literally get up, go to the bathroom, jump back in my bed. And this this went on for weeks. And so I'll never forget this one day, my dad comes in. He, my dad calls me Sonny. And he's like, Sonny, he's like, I just want to take you for a car ride. I want to get you out of this room. I don't care. Like if it's for five minutes, if it's if it's for one minute, like let please let me get you out of this room. And my brother Nick and I share a room. So we shared, we shared, we had, you know, single beds and my dad literally doesn't really give me an option. He picks me up. I'm like in my shorts and he picks me up in my comforter, puts me in the car, drove me back to Hofstra. I get to Hofstra. I was so delirious. Like I didn't, I didn't put two and two together until we're at the Barazana bridge. I was like, holy shit. Like, what are we doing? And he was like, you're going back to school. Nick wants you to be back at school. And I was like, wow, we get there. Like the entire athletic department's there. They moved me back into my house. And from that day on, I was able to kind of be, take a step forward. Obviously, um, you know, I was able to seek professional uh, help, which helped me significantly, which helped me a lot, which I, I, I strongly advocate for. And so I went back to campus and at the time, like my family was just rocked. We were just crum- like, it was just, you know, the family was, it was a mess, you know? Um, and everyone was in a different place uh, with everything. And, um, my coach calls me in one day. And at this time too, we had a train, a change in coaches. So my coach, John Danowski, who's now the, who recruited me, um, left and went to Duke. And then a new coach, Sat Tierney came in and I'm still close to, to both. And, but coach Tierney had called me and he was like, we're going to, we're going to host a Nick Holloway classic. We're going to have four teams at Ridley high school where he went to high school. We're going to have that on. And he starts like spitballing this whole thing. And I'm like, coach, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? He's like, we're going to host a college lacrosse event, like in memory of Nick. And you're going to be the first person to play in it. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, we're going to do this. Found- you're you're going to do this foundation too. And so next, you know, like we started to get like some of those small wins. Right. And so, I start selling t-shirts and laces on campus. Um, my mom was working for corporate America at the time for Staples. 
And so next, you know, this thing started to gain some momentum, no business plan um, until like year 10. And every single year, this thing just starts to like multiply hundred percent growth, hundred percent growth, hundred percent growth, you know, and, and then, you know, you had like Drexel university uh, men's across with coach Chris Bates puts the laces on his team and they, and they beat, they played Virginia that year and they beat Virginia. And it was like, it, the laces were like, they, the commentators were forced to talk about these laces. And so Nick identified the shoelaces. Nick was really, really inspired, believe, you know, believe it or not, by Lance Armstrong at the time, before everything kind of blew up. He found such inspiration in Lance. And Lance was instrumental in keeping Nick you know, focused and just in a positive frame of mind. And he really leaned on him and, and, and really found a lot of inspiration through him. Um, you know, from the bracelets and just, you know, how he was able to funnel things through cycling and just the work that that foundation did was incredible. Um, obviously, you know, there's a, there's a whole other side of that story, but on the surface, you know, that, that was huge for Nick. And so Nick just, Nick was like, was so infatuated with how they could really rally and unite people through a silicone bracelet. And so he's like, what if every athlete and everybody has to wear shoelaces like what if we did lime green shoelaces and next thing you know, like, you know, backtracking a little bit, my, we, we got the shoelaces and just started handing them out to people. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, it just started like, it went viral. Um, you know, we started with like a $67 purchase of shoelaces and we, we've done over 26 million, helped yeah. over 24,000 families. Um, and now we have full time, you know, a team underneath of us and we have a subsidiary company, our hedge on lacrosse division, which operates in like multi multi states and there's thousands of athletes in that. And that's been going on for 17 years and had probably over 4,000 athletes come through. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, it's pretty crazy to see um, how, you know, my family's commitment to Nick and, and the, and the folks that we serve and even just like, our main focus, our vision is really to impact as many lives as possible. And we do that through building community. We're a very community based organization. Um, you know, obviously with a heavy focus in sports and really we just don't shut up. You know, we just continue to tell our story about Nick and, and the work that we do. And we allow people to be a part of it. You know, it's not about me. It's not about my mom, who's our president. It's about all of us and it's about Nick and it's about the folks that we're working with today. And, um, you know, Cancer is a very, very devastating, nasty thing uh, for someone to experience. And it's kind of like our commitment to try to walk that journey with them and support them um, as they need. And, and so we service patients three ways. We, we offer uh, residential support. I'm actually in one of our facilities right now, which is, uh, it's called Nick's house and it's 8,000 square feet. We're fully uh, occupied right now. Families travel to Philly for treatment. We lodge them for free, however long they want to stay. Um, and we also have, you know, obviously all the amenities that you would at, at a house, laundry, groceries, the whole night, um, television, Wi-Fi. we have gyms, we have all kinds of stuff. And then, so we also service patients through financial aid. And then we do, we have emotional services. Today, my mom just got back. We're down at University of Pennsylvania distributing comfort kits to the entire inpatient unit. On Thanksgiving, we will serve Thanksgiving meals for the this is probably year 14 straight. We will serve every patient, every family member, and every staff member at University of Pennsylvania on Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving meal. And so there's things that we do there, and it's all about improving quality of life. 
uh, improving lives affected by cancer is our mission. Um, and like I said, we, we are constantly just here to generate awareness and, and generate funds for the folks that we serve. Yeah, I saw something on the, and that's that's super powerful. It's like tough to talk after Holy that. Holy shit! But um, the wow, you mentioned or it might have been a quote from Nick. You said lacrosse. He meant might have said lacrosse family brotherhood was important, yeah. to him. and that's like for me. I'm in the baseball family brotherhood. For Danny's in the football family brotherhood, and it's real. It really is actually real, and it it could be just it could just be high school. It could be you know the higher up you go, the the tighter like that allegiance becomes. But it. It's how it works. Like if one of my buddies is in trouble or has a problem, like we're there for each other big time. I'm sure, you know, Dan's the same way. And that's what you guys did. You just turned it into something that was more than just being there for a buddy or for a brother. You're there for 26,000 people now, right? Or 20 or 23,000 families now, which is wild. So, and it sucks that one thing they have to think about i'm sure you probably you'll echo this is like the fact that you have to think about the financial aspect when this stuff is going mm-hmm. on is absolutely crazy to me i get it yeah. but at the same time you're trying to help a loved one survive right or at least be comfortable through this and you have to figure out how you're going to stay there right for a month a year right so a day a month, whatever it is like day. you're going to travel to philly for for treatment a hotel is about ten thousand dollars it's, mm-hmm. pretty, it's nuts. Like, and that's, that's on your mind. Like you have to, you have to figure out how to do that. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, and, and, and cancer is, I, I'm pretty sure leading cause of bankruptcy in, in the United States right now is cancer. Oh yeah. Which makes sense. And that's ridiculous. That but just one month alone. Like I remember the last month, one of the last Nick passed November 28th. Um, the month, the October prior to his pay, the month prior, his medical bills were over two hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars just for one month. Not all that's covered under insurance. There's there's all types of, of things, you know. Um, I mean, this this stuff cripples. It took my parents five years to financially rebound. Mm-hmm. You had to sell basically everything. We sold our shore house, our boats, like anything extra. I sold my quad, like, and gave my parents like the fifteen hundred bucks. My brother Dan was paying our mortgage. Like it was, it's a, it's, it's, it's so, it literally ripples right through a family. And, you know, if you don't have the financial means, if you're not a wealthy individual, like, what do you do? Right. Yeah. It's like, you don't have a choice. This is like survival. Yeah. You're in survival. And so you do whatever you can. And, and unfortunately the sad part is a lot of folks just go on hospice. Right. They won't travel. They'll go to a local place. They'll get treatment. It doesn't work. They won't go to a specialized place like Chopper Pen or wherever, mm-hmm. Dana Farber, mm-hmm. um, you know, Sloan, whatever the case may be. They literally won't go. They can't swing it financially. So they'll just go in hospice and stay home and die. How do uh, how do families find you mostly? I mean, I, I mean that now you can go on the website and look it up and yeah. probably have an application. But you know, maybe when this thing just started to get rolling, when you were offering, you know, Nick's house or yeah. um, this financial support, how did they find you early on? That's a great question. And so we have like strategic partnerships with the social workers. Uh, we also work very closely with a lot of the like leaders in the, in the cancer industry, like Dana Farber, like Sloan, like Chop, like Ben Hopkins and, and, and down the line. So we have forged relationships with those folks. Our process, um, we try to make it simple, but 
but you don't necessarily directly connect with the patient until they've been qualified through a social worker. Then it's then verified through a physician. Mm-hmm. And then once that need is verified by both those, those points, we then are introduced to the family to then issue whatever type of support that they need. So really it's about, it's, it's about education and awareness um, and the relationships that we have with the whole entire uh, social, ne- social workers network. Um, in addition to doctors and physicians, you know, kind of like all across the globe now, it's pretty insane. But um, a lot of it was like sweat equity, right? Just putting time in to, we would attend all their patient advocacy events. You know, we are patient facing, uh, but at the same time, like the demand for our services is so high that we have to have some of these processes in place. If not, like we wouldn't even be able to operate because it's like, I'm not kidding you. Um, I, 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 we obviously have a team. Um, we have an entire team that just fields all of the inquiries that come in. Um, cause it's, there's not a lot of organizations like us. Um, we're very niched in, in that way with direct service to the patients. And the other thing too, is most nonprofits within the cancer sector are all on the research side because that's where it's, it's an easier lift. Um, there's a lot of funding from, you know, the states, the, the governments, the grants, um, you know, and so we, we're more on the human side. Um, yeah. and so it's a grind and it's a, every day is a, is an uphill battle. Um, just because there's so many people, I think there's, there's probably like 15, at least 15 million people right now, you know, living with, with cancer in the United yeah. States. And that, so, um, it's something that's not going to go away. Um, at any time soon. That's I, I hope it Sorry. does. I hope it does, but I don't necessarily foresee that. And so like, what's interesting here at Headstrong is like the money comes in, it goes right back out. So it's like every single day we're grinding. Um, and so, you know, it, it takes, uh, it takes a village to, as they say, to, to really operate this thing. And uh, it's, it's no easy task. So Headstrong's a lot like the Joe Andrewsy foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. I played with Joe up in New I England. Know, I know him well. Um, yeah. yeah. And they, they, they support a lot of the families and the financial okay. needs like Headstrong. Yeah. I remember when he was first starting, we met together. He was still playing uh, for the Patriots. And we met in the parking lot, me, him, his wife, and my mom. And we just sat there and talked. Um, he actually just reached out because they just launched an app uh, where um, folks that are diagnosed with cancer can go on the app and then you could more or less identify like what resource you're looking for. Like, let's just say it's financial aid. Mm-hmm. You can select financial aid and then find like all the nonprofits like Joe Andrews foundation, Headstrong that provide financial aid. And, and then it's almost like a, like a library essentially right. um, that, of different resources that people could have at their fingertips. Cause sometimes you go on the web and like this, the Susan G. Komen dominates or like American cancer society. Mm-hmm. You know, if you type in financial aid, like they pop up, they don't even offer financial aid. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Looking for financial aid. So just because they spend so much money from an advertising standpoint. So, you know, he's providing that, which is awesome. And they're a great organization. They've done great work. Um, he's, he's just, he's just a first class person. Big, big Italian family as well. Like yours. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing the. He color- eats more than, than most. Oh yeah. He definitely we eats more him. than him. We just saw him <laughs> yeah, last month. Does. I'm picturing the, uh, Kala Lori, Kala Lori, Kala Lori, Kala Lori. Uh, family, as you described your dad and, um, you know, your mom and your brother and your brothers, other brothers, like big Sunday meals and all this stuff. Yeah. And then you have, um, you know, Nick going through what he's going through 
And in yeah. that time of what he's doing, he's not he's not thinking about himself. He's think, thinking about people. He thinking about you guys. He's thinking mm-hmm. about people you don't. He doesn't even know, and he's mapping this out in his head. How? I mean, I mean, you've known him your whole life. You live with him. Like, but how, how impactful is that? Like thinking about like, you know, the lasting memory of your brother, and that's what he's thinking about. Yeah, it's, it's very inspiring. I think that's like what kind of lays the foundation here. You know, because he was more than life um, and really just in his situation where he could have easily felt like sorry for himself. And, you know, his biggest thing that he preached to everybody was just like acting as if he didn't have cancer, like like trying to make things as normal as possible. And it's something that we kind of like retell to people, Mm -hmm. because when someone's diagnosed with cancer, everyone's like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? That person just wants to be treated like normal. They don't want to be bothered like. Just, just say like, let's go to the movies. Let's like, let's do what we norm- normally do. Like, yeah, I got to go to the hospital and get this chemo or I got to get this blood transfusion. But outside of that, like, let's live a normal life. And so as normal as possible. And I, I've seen too, like that even helps just with the mental state, the mental fight when it comes to a disease, regardless if it's cancer or not, just try to like neutralize the situation. Um, you know, a lot of times when I, I, if I, if I meet with patients or if I'm, I don't even talk about cancer or cancer doesn't even come up in my conversation, I'm talking about, you know, where they've been up to, how their family is like learning about them and what they got going on, everything besides, I don't even bring up the topic. We don't even talk about it. Um, and, um, that's just the way that I've seen be most beneficial. And, and Nick kind of like set that, um, that tone, you know what I mean? For us mm-hmm. just in the, the wake of everything that he was going through, he just like focused on everything but that, um, he was aware of it and recognized it, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it was, it's definitely very inspiring. I think it's a, a great way to live. I always, like I said, I, he lived in his vision. He was just all about like this foundation and about, you know, he wanted to become, he, he was wanted to change his major from education to become a counselor. He wanted to work with, with young adolescent, you know, adolescents that were dealing with cancer to help them through it. Um, just, just to get through it mentally, um, you know, and go from there. So what, uh, what years did you, you said you played, um, in the yeah. league? Yeah, I was with uh, New England from 03 to – that's why we were jabbing at you with the 2007 comment. I, uh, I was 03 to 11 with New England and then the last two in Denver. So Joe was with me. I was with Joe. Joe was kind of like my mentor on the line. I would go to his house afterwards, grab dinner, and, um, you know, he was older, had a family, sort of like, all right, that that's a good guy. And by the way, um, so I played with him probably two years, three years, and then he went out to Cleveland. Um, you were but, there for two wins and two losses. That's the way that I usually look yeah, at it. Thanks. <laughs> um, but um, it, what I found great about Joe was when there was an off night, I mean, it, this was before his foundation. And even when he got cancer, he really didn't want to attach his name to that foundation. He wanted, yeah. you know, he didn't want the recognition to come on him. He wanted to be about the families that they were helping. Um, so it took a little bit. Yeah, I think you understood stood it from a fundraising perspective. This will be better long term for the families that are involved. Um, yeah. But when he got the call, or I'm not going to jump to the cancer, but he was always out at charitable events. Yeah, for three for mm-hmm. the three years that I knew. I mean, there was not a like a nicer guy and a more charitable guy willing to donate his time. Um, yeah. Every night he was doing stuff mm-hmm. and. You know, you have teammates like that and just like, God damn, they do the right thing. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's inspiring. You, and in your story that you mentioned too, and this is like not to be um, 
this is like you got to bring this up. How tough like your dad was to like pull you out of bed like that, and, and how tough you are just to get out of bed. That shit is hard. I can't even freaking imagine. You know, like and like that's that's stuff that that's like a real tough person. You know what I mean? To like get through that and then to have somebody bring you to school and then all your buddies being there and all the athletic department being there, like that's not easy. And, and that's, that's, you gotta, we gotta show you some on that too. Cause that's just incredible, like strength. You know, I'm sure there's a thousand stories like that in your family too, but that's the one that you mentioned. It's like, geez, like that is, that one got me pretty good when you were, when you were talking about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to talk about it because, you know, it's, it's okay to open up, be a little vulnerable, but also one thing I've found is it doesn't really matter. Like it doesn't matter. Like if it was cancer, if it was addiction, like everyone goes through shit, everyone goes, it's just life, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, you just, you're going to be faced with adversity, whether you like it or not. And so um, I think our story kind of indicates like how we responded you know, during this situation that came out of left field. Like my brother, Nick was like 19 years old, probably the healthiest he's ever been physically. Mm. You know, he was a great student. He was like this all American kid. Everyone loved him. Right. And this just happened. You can't explain it, you know? And, and so, and how my family has responded and what we've done in the wake of his passing to help all these other people, I think, you know, is a testament to, you know, you can move forward, right? You, everybody can get through it, right? It doesn't matter uh, what the situation is, whether it's divorce, what, like, you know, and, and so, but I'm a big believer in every day, just like each day, just making some small progress. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like everyone just sets too big of a target sometimes. Um, and I always tell everyone it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like everything that I am involved with business, you know, personal, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We obviously have a goal that we want to work towards, but every day we, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to crawl, walk, run to it, jog to it, whatever we got to do. But every day we're making small steps towards, you know, towards the goal. And Mm. I feel like in today's world, people, people feel like something happens to them and they're just like in a silo and you're really not, you know? And so I think part of my story that I try to share is I try to open up and share moments in my life that I was in a very, very dark place. And here I am now, you know what I mean? Um, it's crazy to think about how dark my like twenties were and how bright my thirties are. Mm-hmm. And so you just never know where life's going to take you. Um, uh, but I feel like all these things and all these adversities that we face, we actually, that's where we make the most, most growth. Um, and that's how we build, um, into who we, who we are, you know, and, and that's how we work towards, towards greatness. Yeah. It's, it's 1% better every day is better than like these huge leaps and bounds, like every single day, 1% better, like doing something that, that gets you there. It sounds like that's what, you know, you guys do. And then your the foundation helps people with that big time. Like that one Thanksgiving meal that you give somebody saves them X amount of dollars, right? Like that's something that they were thinking about in their head, which is nuts. So um, they might be away from home. How are we going to get it? Yeah, exactly. A whole bunch of, you know, things um, that go into that. I do. I do have a lighter question to ask him. Well, yeah. You know, I do want to know. <laughs> you said your dad's a great cook. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, right now he can come in. You know, like you can get the meal of your choice. He can cook for us. What's he, he cooks for us. What's yeah, he there we cook go. For, for a couple big guys. What's That's he gonna put? Point. What's he gonna put in front of us? 
Um, it's, a, it's a long list. We're both. We're. I'm. T- well, I've lost a lot of weight. I'm 230 pounds. <laughs> Dan, Dan's 250 pounds. So we're big guys. I think I'm sub 250 yeah. right now. This. It's whatever's in the fridge. Oh. And what I mean by that is, my dad. This is the guys on the street. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Right. He'll literally go in the fridge, and he'll take stuff out. I'll, I watch it all the time. No recipe. And he'll literally serve you something and you're like, how did you make this? Like, what did you do? He won't tell you. But like this guy will literally make stuff. I, I, it's like, he gets it from his father. My, my, my grandpa was a baker. He owned a bakery in, in South Philly. Um, and so my dad just knows how to cook, right? Mm-hmm. Literally comes to my house and just drops off Tupperwares of food, like oh. gravy, meatballs, you know, chicken parm, the whole nine. Like, but like everything this guy cooks, like he just dropped off egg, uh, Italian egg soup the other day. If you ever have it, it's like an egg omelet mm. cut in squares. It's like got like spinach in it, different types of cheeses and the chicken broth. It's like a family tradition around this time of year, but like can make anything like, and it's yeah. just like everything is cooked. We just had All Guy, right, no. uh, we had Guy Fieri on uh, Fieri. a couple, we had Guy Fieri, 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 Fieri. Fieri. on a, I don't know, a month or so ago. Like we might have to, we have to, Bring right. your dad right. on. Here, 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 here's a serious question because this has been going. Oh, you have a serious one. Oh, a serious okay. one. This is right. this is this is a debate that's been going on probably for ages, but it's more recent in our fantasy football league. There's two Italians, right? One sauce, one gravy. What is it? And what's your definition? And how can you? Because they both are very strong in how they feel. So what's your what what is the what's the ultimate answer? I like I. I, I call it gravy. Like especially I think it depends what it's paired with. Like like if you're eating pizza, it's like your pizza sauce. Like, you know, stromboli, it's like a pizza sauce. But if you're eating it with like pasta, meatball, spaghetti, you know, gnocchi. I, I like I, I mean I was always raised as gravy. Here's here's know? here's the definition. Yeah, I'm so, sauce, but I'm not Italian. I think you're on the gravy train. So here's the definition. That's a, that's a real the, term. Here's the yes, the gravy. The gravy train, train is yeah, a no, real term. Right, throw it in there. <laughs> that's a good pun. Uh, thank you. Uh, here's the definition I got for gravy from the guy who basically says it's gravy, not sauce. Anytime you're adding meat to it to create the sauce, it yep. is gravy. Yeah. And if you're if it's a pizza topping or you know red sauce oh, so or something if it's like, like a tomato if based, if there's sauce. no meat being added when you're simmering it or whatever you okay. want to do, throw meatballs in there. I don't even know how you now, make. Now sauce. it's gravy. You're saying anytime meat. meat's included in there, it's gravy. Yeah, like a lot of times, people ground up like meat or sausage and cook and and, okay. and it's a correct. Part of it. Yeah, so I feel like this yeah, is a like fair definition. What you're eating. Yeah, you I feel like that's fair. I feel like we learned something. Yeah, that's well. You're the one that had that definition. Well, I know, but I mean, just like he's saying, he's got the Sunday dinners. I'm not Italian. Okay. I wanted to know his professional opinion. I, I've no never once even considered you calling it gravy. Never considered. I've never considered calling it gravy. To me, is the only gravy I've ever eaten. If you first were to time ask I heard me, gravy is gravy on turkey. Like or, or, that's it. That's first, all I can. First imagine. time I heard gravy was at college when there was North Jersey, like Bergen County people sitting there going to gravy. I'm like. It's not brown. You're not, I'm not putting it on turkey. That's this is gravy. It doesn't not, work like that. I'm not that. smushing my spoon into the yeah, mashed potatoes and dumping it in it. You guys are insane. Yeah, that's it's crazy. Not gravy. All, right. All right. So how do we? So uh, uh, well, no, here's what I think. No, you go first. Give, giving day. Giving day. Yeah. Giving day is Tuesday, November 29th. That's important. So um, for everybody listening, please mm-hmm. consider donating on Giving Day to the Headstrong Foundation. Yes. Um, so obviously, you guys know too. Um, 
we are expanding our Nick's house initiative. I've been up there with my mom. We don't went up there with our chair. We're expanding our Nick's house to Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are, my mom's actually heading back up December 1st. We just got back two weeks ago. We looked at 15 properties in a day and a half. It was insane. But, um, we're looking at like West Roxbury and, mm-hmm. and, and Jamaica Plains, uh, as the area to be able to support, um, Dana Farber folks that are staying mm-hmm. at Dana Farber to be treated. Yep. Uh, and also there's another stumping on it. There's another major hospital right there too. Not too far away. Mass um, General. Leahy Clinic. Mass no, um, or is that part of Dana Farber? There's a couple there. Oh, um, this one downtown Boston. I, I'm blanking on the name, but Beth Israel. Yes, I think you're right. I feel like we're nailing these, but Brigham? maybe not. Brigham, Brigham. No. There's a lot. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we're obviously going to be expanding a Nick's House project there to support folks up in that area. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the funding that we're going to be launching a campaign here soon. And uh, you know, we love we love for folks to get behind us some way year-end contribution would be great. Um, to learn more about the project up like up there would be awesome um, for people. If anybody wants to get involved with it, obviously, you know, always open to, uh, to share what we're, what we're doing. Yeah. So, I, I think that it's tricky sometimes. Like if I think about donating, I'm sure you're, you're probably the same Dan and like whoever else it's like, where do you do it? Where, where do you know that it's going to a good spot? Right? Like that's, this one is a good spot. Yeah. Like this makes total sense. And like, you know, I think Joe's foundation also like those ones are like, okay, this is going to something where there's nothing that I would want to do more if I was going to give my part to this. And if it wasn't my family or something that man, would I like to have somebody be able to stay closer to their loved ones or be able to eat like around their loved ones or something like that. That is a yeah. good spot to put your money to use is yeah. what I feel like. Yeah, yep. we have um, we have comfort kits that we send all over the country. Uh, we have about like five to six hundred applications a day just for those. Those comfort mm-hmm. kits get sent. Sarah over here, who's one of our patient coordinators with our whole volunteer group, literally sends them out. Like it's it's insane. Uh, so like, there's different. You know, our our focus is direct support to the patient. Um, people like today, like right now, like direct support, and that's kind of what we've seen. We basically turned our family's hardships into services that basically were, a, you know, when things become a theme, then there's usually an opportunity or a problem. And so we saw from Nick's, you know, Nick conceptualized this based on the same stories that he was hearing from all these other yeah. families. Mm-hmm. Nick's house basically started because my father was dry, was going home to cook Nick dinner, ran into a gentleman that he met on the floor whose daughter was being treated. This guy was having a, a nervous breakdown, like like out of control at the parking garage, right? Where you pay for your parking. And he was living in his vehicle with his wife and other children while his daughter was being treated and didn't have enough money to pay for the park. Mm-hmm. My dad pays this guy, pays his parking tab. This family moves in with us while their daughter is being treated. And after Nick's passed away, my dad said, if we we should do like an apartment in the city of Philadelphia yep. so that we can have like, even if we just have one family stay there, mm-hmm. that's all we need to do. So that started the wheels for Nick's house. And so my mom and I, um, we did like a three and a half year search all over Philly, North, middle, South, West, East, the whole nine. And we eventually stumbled on um, a property, which is now our offices, which we're actually moving out of because the organization is expanding. But we did a pilot study where the first floor was our office. The second floor was a two bedroom apartment. It was like a revolving door, nonstop. We finally moved out. Next time I moved in. 
We then expanded. We did a $1.5 million campaign and bought the project that I'm in, the house that I'm in right now, which is, which is Nick's house. We're situated right next to Swarthmore College, right in the suburbs of Philly. We're about like 15, 20 minutes from the hospital. And it's a community-based. Our Nick house, Nick's house model is like a community home. The community is involved with the house. The community comes and is a part from a volunteer standpoint. They, they come here and we offer activities here the community is involved. The communities, I just got, I just pulled up, there's community members outside here raking leaves. Like, so it is a whole, it's like a big family. And so we're looking to replicate the same concept mm-hmm. up in Boston, New York, and Baltimore over the next eight to 10 years is really yeah. the vision of the organization. And then funnel the additional services that we have to those families that stay with us and also in those markets. So we're going to be expanding and building out um, in the Boston area with a whole entire team up there, executive, regional, you know, executive director, and, and all that over the next, you know, year or so, which is exciting. And maybe might even partner up with Joe Andrews on some stuff because they're, yeah. he's awesome and, and they got a great thing going as well. And I think, you know, it's all about every, you know, all in, everyone is just helping, you know, make a difference. Um, did you play with uh, Chris Hogan? Yeah. All? Oh yeah. St. Ignatius. So, Chris Hogan. Um, oh, no, Chris Hogan's a lacrosse player. No, I was yeah. thinking, I was thinking of another guy. Uh, no, yeah, Hogan I, was I, was, I was, I was just, Hogan was you. just after me. Yep. He wore. Um, he went to Penn State, didn't he? He he wore our bracelet. Um, he wore our bracelet in the Super Bowl. There's actually okay, a yeah, yeah. Super Bowl. Uh, right. He played at Penn State. Yep. Uh, he's a year behind me in, in lacrosse, and so um, wore our laces. I think it, I think he did his um, the cleats at the time too. Yeah, he like did the, yes. the the day that they do the. The cleats, the, which is the, right the, around this time. It's probably right, right around. Right. Right, yeah, it's yeah this week or something. Like, we have, we have like, I would say upwards of nine or 10 athletes this season. I guess it starts next week of the following doing, doing cleats. Um, my cleats, my cause. That's phenomenal. So yeah. For Hedgehog, which well, is great fairness for Mike, us. you got two guys up here that when yep. you come up here, you need anything, just give us a call. We're willing to, you know, do whatever we can. <laughs> Where are you guys uh, based out of? We're in Rhode Island. We're in the Warwick office of, of Squad Locker. So we're right here, but we're, we're always running around. We're, we're, yeah. uh, Providence, East Greenwich area, I guess, but you're in Boston. 50, you're, we're in Boston. 50, Boston. 50 minutes to Boston. Boston's a 29 minute, 29 minute Acela ride. It's pretty <laughs> easy to get up there. So okay. nice and That's easy awesome. for us. So yeah, you guys are doing tremendous stuff. Yeah. Headstrong Foundation, like keep it up. And uh, yeah, thanks you know, for everything you you're doing. And, and here thanks for, sure. for sharing your story of Nick, man. What, yeah, what a person and what a vision and what what he's been able to, and you guys have uh, been able to create we gotta special. get we gotta get some lime green in here. Not oh, yeah. not eagles green in here. No, but not, we'll get not, some. We'll no get Kelly, some lime green. No in Kelly here. green. All right. Signature laces. There I'm pretty go. sure I got some of those actually from I early on. Are, I think Squad Locker is going to be doing some stuff with those laces. Cool. Um, you know, part of this whole thing and talking with Gary is really just trying to educate you know your customer base of mm-hmm. our organization and finding ways to kind of get those those folks involved and engaged with us yep. um, to continue just to help, you know, folks in need. So, yeah, it's great stuff. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Right. Mike, Michael, whatever you are, you're an amazing guy. So we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, All right. Mike. Thanks, man. All right. Happy Take you care. too. Same to you. Alstar Prime is brought to you by Squad Locker. Squad Locker is your one-stop shop for custom team apparel delivered right to your front door. Learn more by visiting squadlocker.com.